Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him, and assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the, where the Christ was to, the, to be born. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel." Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word, that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that came, that they had seen, then it rose, went before them, until it was it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being war warned when a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill that the Lord had spoken to the, by the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he had tricked by, been tricked by the wise men, became furious, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he was ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled that was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ra Ramhah, weeping in loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children, she refused to be comforted, because they care no more. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life are de dead. And he rose and took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Ark Achilles was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and lived in the city called Nazareth, so that the, what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. This is God's word. We are in a series for Christmas. All throughout the year, we've been uh, talking about the kind of church that we feel uh, called to be. We've been kind of exploring this idea of being an outpost of the church. And so this is us kind of landing that plane and talking about that through the Christmas story. So Christmas on the outpost is what we're calling it. So we're looking at the Christmas stories we do every year, but this time kind of from the angle of what does it mean uh, for us in regard to the mission that we sense we have uh, to, to celebrate Christmas, to reflect on this Christmas story. So... 
We will uh, enter into that in just a moment, but uh, Andrew is going to come up and lead us in a prayer before we start. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. God, help us revere your name and not use it callously, to give it the honor, the admiration, and the awe it deserves. In a world that often uses it with disdain or as a curse, help us treat it with deep respect and care. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, we don't always know why things happen. Life can at times seem random, unfair, or unjust. Help us trust that you work for the good for those who love you. And when hard times come in our life, give us the wisdom and perspective to appreciate how many blessings and good things you've given us far in excess of what we, already, what, what we deserve already. Help us think less of our own goals and ambitions and more about what furthers your plans. Give us this day our daily bread. It's easy to worry about resources and money and what tomorrow will bring, to put our sense of security into things other than you. Help us to rely on you for our needs and for our sense of security and confidence, God, for you've promised to give us what we truly need. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. God, when someone wrongs us, our emotions can run wild, and few things are as strong as our sense of vengeance. Let us remember our incredible debt that we have that you forgave us, not just our sin against you, but the horrific act of brutally killing your only son. Give us the strength to quickly forgive those who wrong us in light of what you've done for us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. God, there's so many things we're tempted by. Make us especially aware of the everyday insidious sins we can't find ourselves, or we can find ourselves easily caught up in. Unkind words, ungenerous thoughts, short tempers, gossip, envy, hurry, and ungratefulness. Help us realize how toxic they are and can be and fight to keep them out of our lives and our minds. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Foster in our minds, God, an eternal perspective. Even as Christians, it's easy to lose sight every day of what our real purpose and calling is. Help us keep it in the front of our minds so it regularly shapes our thoughts and our desires and our actions. We look forward and can't wait till you make this world fresh, clean, and new once again. Thank you for your son, your love, and these amazing lives we get to live. To you be the glory. Amen. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. So this evening, the theme is Christ is for the searching. And uh, a theme that is a theme of this evening's scripture, the wise men were searching. Um, it's a major reason why we started the church that you're in today. Well, we're a merger of, of two different churches that happened in 2016, but there was a common theme between both churches, a desire to, to seek people who were searching, who were struggling. Speaking from my perspective, uh, before I or we, uh, there was a team of us that started a little a little group that met out of our house, and, um, and we ended up having early services in a neighbor's backyard. But before we knew we were um, necessarily going to do that, it was about Christmas time. Uh, we were a small group uh, from another church, and we had a party. We had a free elephant party, which is a white elephant, but you have to find stuff for free uh, to give to people, which makes it slightly more interesting. And we invited a friend who was having a terrible day. And I think, I think that meant a lot to her. Uh, moments like that can really um, deepen a relationship. And, 
And as we got to know her more after that day, after kind of inviting her into our party, uh, she had a lot of spiritual questions and, and still does. And we invited her to church with us at, our, at the church we went to before. And I remember feeling um, when we invited her in there that this must be a hard place to, to go. This must be a, a, com- a complicated thing to do. I think that's true of any, of any church. You may remember uh, years ago, we threw our one-year party out in the parking lot and put the free food signs out. And a number of our neighbors walked up, and the first question, I noticed this, it happened three or four times, where people came to the door and they kind of leaned and looked in. And every time I went over and I said, would you like to see inside, um, they either they waited for that invitation or one of them said, is that okay? It, it's a, it doesn't feel natural to walk in to someone's religious space, religious service, right? And I remember you know, thinking about her and how that must have been to walk into a space like that. Um, but also, I just realized very little was said that was said to a searching person. Hardly anything was framed for someone who didn't have all the assumptions already, who was already there. So my assumption looking back on that is walking into a church requires a lot of courage and it's an experience of profound culture shock. From the way people dress to the questions you'll be asked to the way the space itself feels as hurdle after hurdle. On top of that, then you're gonna hear claims and statements about God and and readings from a book that's God's words, and you'll hear about a man who died on a cross, and it's all utterly shocking. It's very abnormal if you're not used to it. And this is why um, I have been, I've sensed, and I'll be quite stubborn sometimes in trying to make sure that we are not only found here, but that we are out where people are. And that when you come into here, there are as few hurdles as possible while we still do actual worship. Um, it's why every once in a while, if you lead with me, you, you hear me talk about the language we use. Um, I want us to use language that everyone can understand. So John, a couple weeks ago, shared that uh, about the nobodies that Jesus came for, the Mary and Joseph types, the nobodies from nowhere, um, who, who didn't have the, the pedigree, they didn't have the accolades, they were just included, even though they were really not um, anyone that anyone would have picked. And then last week, he talked about the, the outsiders, the, the first people that Jesus invited in, the shepherds, the people who were shunned in their time and place. Um, and some of us can relate to those ideas. And it's interesting how we can see ourselves versus how somebody else might see us. You know, Someone might look at you and say, wow, you're the insider here, but you might feel like the outsider yourself. Um, when I thought about our friend who we invited to church, I, I'm, I don't know how she saw herself, but I know how I saw her, and that was as someone who was educated and had a lot of questions, and they were very uh, complex questions. And as we began to plant our church, we talked about people we knew, and she was one of them. And one of the things we wanted to do was be a group of people who could um, engage such questions, where somebody with with difficult and deep questions could come and and ask them. And have we succeeded at this? I, 
I, th I think sometimes we have, and I think sometimes we still have a lot to learn. These days, we're describing our approach as a church as being an outpost, and what that means is that we want to be committed to being Christians, to the church. Uh, we gather around the Lord's Supper. We, we don't shy away from Jesus. There, there's never a service where you go away with like just life hacks and know Jesus. We, we are stubborn. We're committed to Jesus, but at the same time, we want to move toward people who, who don't relate to that, people who feel like nobodies, like uh, outsiders or people who are still searching. And today is about the searching. Uh, my goal is to say that Christ has come for the searching. I think that's what we see in the wise men, and I, and I believe it's something we see all throughout the scriptures. God is, uh, the three things I want to put out there, God is speaking to the searching, the enemy is seeking to disrupt the search, and if you seek, you will find. Those are the three things I want to just put out there today. God speaking to the searching, the enemy seeks to disrupt the search, and if you seek, you will find. So, when we look in Matthew's gospel, it's interesting that Matthew uh, is the one who writes the most about these wise men or magi from the east. Um, well, uh, Matthew was a wealthy Jewish uh, outcast and traitor. He was a tax collector. And so he had chosen a profession that his fellow Jews looked down upon very much. He um, had allied himself with the Roman government, and tax collectors were known for overtaxing um, and taking advantage of their fellow Jewish people. And so he had done that to, um, to his benefit, but to the detriment of his neighbors. So while he was probably um, pretty wealthy, he also would have really put up some barriers uh, culturally between him and, and his, his family, his friends. Um, and Matthew uh, has his life transformed by Jesus. So he wasn't a nobody. He wasn't the poor shepherd. Um, he was outcast for different reasons. He was probably smart, fairly successful. And because of that, he was an outsider. In a way, you could say he was somebody who had been religious in his heritage, but had become very secular. He had given his life to secular pursuits, to the love of money. And Matthew writes the most about these, uh, these men from the East. Um, these wise men were uh, astrologers to some degree. They would have been very prominent in the court of some of the Eastern kings. They were very learned men. They were very wealthy men. They had resources at their disposal. They're making this great trek because they had the, the funds to do it. Uh, and they had the freedom uh, of prestige and privilege. They would have functioned something uh, like astrologists today, but couple that with political power um, and a knowledge of history and philosophy. They looked for patterns of meaning um, in the books of history, which is why you see them quoting the Jewish prophets, um, and in the meaning and orientation of the stars, and they would try to predict uh, future, future events and interpret current events based on how they um, how the stars corresponded to events in the past. So they were well-read people. They were detailed people. And it's incredible to note that Matthew, a lifelong Jew, would include and validate a story of these foreigners seeking God in a way that God had never approved of. Have you ever thought about that? Um, 
Their methods were never condemned. These were men who were, who were spoken of as men of faith, and they did find him in the Bible, but they found him in the stars. They found him in a, in a secular way of pursuing. Uh, they found him in a roundabout way, you might say. No matter the method of their search, God honors the heart of their searching and reveals himself to them. They were searching for something true and divine, and they were willing to study hard and travel hard to find it. They saw a significant star and believed it meant a king was to be born. And there's a lot of speculation about this. What was the star? There's a whole movie about it. Um, and the, the scriptures don't give us enough information to decide if that's exactly how it happened or not. Um, it could have been that they just saw a bright star. It could have been these two planets moved together. Whatever the case, they saw deep significance uh, in a star and believed it was a prophecy coming true, and they traveled a long distance and brought gifts of great cost uh, to celebrate the coming of this king. So what, is, what does that mean? It means a lot of things, but one thing, they were searching for a king but they were not necessarily searching for a new religion, nor were they necessarily searching the right way. Their search may have been misguided, but God honored their search because of their hearts. And God speaks to people with searching hearts who at the core of their being are open to discovering God. And truthfully, God makes hearts able to receive him. Um, we're a little church. Um, there are many, you know, larger, more effective. Um, but in, in recent years, God has been kind to bring several people to Christ in our in our circles, in our midst. Um, we've hauled our our baptismal trough out to the parking lot a few times, which is great. And none of them came to Jesus the way that I'd planned. None. Um, I've had thoughts about studies we might do with people. Uh, I remember back when we planted early on, we read a book about how you could read the Bible together and with, with secular people. And um, yeah, nobody's come to Christ through any of that. Um, the first one that in a while uh, had seen a cross of sticks on Mount Lemmon and then went to her tarot card reader who told her to go to church, and she came, right? Yeah, that's a real story. There's a podcast about it on our website. Go check it out. Her telling her own story. There have been other encounters of people while not sober. Um, there have been people who were drawn to the Bible first. This isn't all people who've come to Christ. It's people who've engaged and told us their stories. Um, some were reading a, a modern book or, a, or an ancient book, I'm sorry, that they didn't realize was Christian. Um, and then they, they began to go, what's this all about? Um, it's been kind of wild to hear some of these stories, but also really encouraging because what it means, what it said to me is this is God at work. Uh, it's not been my great plan. It's been God. Now, we also need to see here, um, so God is at work. God speaks to these men, these wise men, in a dream. Uh, now, they'd come, they'd come, they'd, they'd decided that they, they were on their pursuit. They'd come to King Herod. They'd come to see the Christ child, and they're warned in a dream. But, but you realize they don't, like, 
necessarily understand what we would call the Christian religion yet. They saw a baby in a trough that they believed was going to be a physical ruling king. They hadn't wrapped their minds around what all this means yet. And now God's speaking to them in a dream. He's leading them and guiding them, even though their faith is still being formed. It's an incredible thing. Matthew shows God speaking, um, in, you could say, only to unbelievers in dreams. And I'm going to, Joseph's in there. I'll explain that in a second. But later in his gospel, who see, hears God in a dream? It's the wife of Pontius Pilate. She's the one who's engaged by God in a dream. And the only other dream Matthew records is Joseph, but it's Joseph um, at first at the point where he's going to divorce Mary. Is he a believer yet, right? What does it mean to believe? So what am I saying here? Um, here we are in the Bible. God is speaking to searching people in profound ways, in surprising ways. In the stars of the sky, in the books of history, in religious texts, yes, but in dreams. Um, and we've seen things like that even in our little circles, the, the surprising ways that God is speaking. And, and that's encouraging because it means God's at work. None of us have hatched these plans. None of you ever came to me and said, hey, let's plant some sticks up on Mount Lemmon and see what happens, right? It's not, that's not been the case. So God is speaking to the searching um, in, in profound ways. We see that in the scripture and in our own experience. But the powers of darkness are opposing the search, opposing the search and the object of the search, especially, which is Jesus. Now, um, Someone might say, wow, it's 2022, and a, you're a pretty, you know, level-headed guy. You, people say that, right, about me? I, <laughs> right? Um, you're a pretty level-headed guy, and, I, and you're going to talk, what are we, is this like ghouls and goblins? Is this fairy tale stuff, good and evil, spiritual darkness? Um, and I get it. it. It can feel uber spiritual. For some people, that maybe seems like, comfortable. For others of us, it's uncomfortable. For me, it's uncomfortable, okay? Um, but I think we have to take it seriously. Um, let's, say, let's say, for a case of argument, there's no God, there's no spiritual realm, and, um, and people, they just hate, they kill, they plot murder, they abuse. What's the explanation for that? Um, is it survival? And if it is, then is it wrong? I mean, if there's no ultimate right, there's no ultimate wrong. Wrong would be in the eye of the beholder. Wrong would be based on your own self-interest, and nobody is living like this. Nobody is living like this. Um, you know, a weak person is trampled on by a strong person, and we say that is wrong. Um, why? We have a sense there's something evil. There's a lot more to the conversation, but, but think about how we view history, how, how we view these things, um, or, and even today, in history and today, an e evil so overtakes a person, they begin to live out of it entirely, and it spreads to the heart and mind of other people, and there's wars and genocide, right? What is that? What do, how do we interpret that? Um, J.R.R. Tolkien in The Lord of the Rings, um, he describes Mordor, right, and the hordes of Mordor. Why did he... Why did he imagine this? Why, why did he come up with this? He'd seen the First World War. 
I mean, this, his fiction came out of his lived reality. He saw this happening on earth. He, he says there's a dark overlord inspiring and, and, and terrifying people, and they're transformed into evil brutes because he saw it in, in life. And that's what we call evil, Right? If there's an ultimate good and uh, spiritual beings, which are easier, it's easier to think of the guardian angel, right? That's nice. But it's really not a stretch from there to say there could be some that are dark, that are fallen. Um, look, all my secular neighbors and friends are open to there being life outside of us, right? That's a very popular type. Is there life outside of us? People out there will say probably. There's so many, you know, there's, there's so much space, right? Galaxy upon galaxy, how could we dare, you know, assume there's no life out there? People say that. Um, and then science has laid open the fact there's other dimensions of reality. That's, that's kind of established at this point. The Bible uh, just happens to be saying, yes, that's true, and it's, it's real, and it's spiritually significant. That's, that's the only tweak. The Bible says, that, yeah, it is real, and it's spiritually significant. It's not just neutral. It's significant. And the framework of the Bible is assuming that we aren't the center of the universe looking out and interpreting it all, but that those beings outside are central and they're looking in at us. That's the difference. So Matthew uh, shows us things like this in his gospel. Think about it, Herod. Um, Herod's the one that, the, that these magi expect to help them. He's, think about this. Herod is the political leader of a religious nation. He would go into the temple and he would be, he would be central in, in the temple worship. He, um, he was viewed as inextricably linked to the people of God and their worship even as a Jewish king. As much of a puppet king as he may have been, and he was. These men from the east expect him to anticipate God's new king and hope for God's new king. That's what they expected. But he does not, right? Why? His selfish ambition. Uh, history tells us he kills his own wife and his own son. He's deeply paranoid. And here we have a clash of wise and powerful men, of the, the wise men coming in and they're searching, but here's a man of of ambition and power, who's paranoid of anyone taking over his throne. But also, there are spiritual forces animating their quest. One is good and one is evil. Um, the good one is God at work at someone from outside the faith. He's speaking in powerful ways to somebody from outside the faith. And the evil one, see, is the enemy working within and upon someone inside the church. Their view was Herod was inside of the church. By the way, the whole like there's crooked people in the church thing is a tale as old as time. This is not a modern phenomena. The story is really dark. It's a record of, gen of genocide and infanticide. Herod, when he finds out, you know, the wise men don't come back to him. I mean, it, it is dark. This is a dark portion of history. Uh, it's an absolute slaughter. Uh, Herod, a man driven by ambition and paranoia. These are real human experiences, right? Like ambition, this is a motive we all have. We all want to be something. Um, 
Mental illness is what we might call the second half of that, right? This is like, these are things we can relate to. We can, we can relate to these things. But later in the Bible, God gives a vision to the disciple John. It's in, the, it's in Revelation 12. And it's like this, this symbolic dramatization of a woman and a dragon. And the dragon wants to kill her child. And it's deeply symbolic. It's, it's a story of the people of God in general in many ways. But it also clearly points to this very moment. And who is the dragon? It's, it's interpreted for us in the book of Revelation. It's Satan, the devil, the great accuser is his name. Which means that, yes, Herod, Herod did the evil acts. He's guilty. He's, his ambition, his paranoia, that inner voice, you're nothing, Herod. It's all going to fall apart, Herod. They're against you. Nobody likes you. That inner voice, it comes from him, but it comes from Satan. It's both. There's an interplay that we have to take seriously. And that evil is still at work today. Sometimes it feels spiritually significant. Other times it doesn't, right? Sometimes you can sense it. You go, oh, I'm sp- there's a spiritual heaviness. There's a darkness. But sometimes it just feels like someone in church hates me. Or, uh, or my life is going nowhere. Or like, I just need to get this problem out of my life. I just need to numb the pain, right? Think about it. When Joseph wants to put Mary away because he thought she had an affair, that's just normal thinking. That's the same enemy trying to kill the story, right? But God intervened. Friends, I see it at work in our midst all the time. Amidst all of us, it's disrupting, it's accusing, it's discouraging. It happens within our own souls. Sometimes the way that we hear the words that come out of another person's mouth is just Satan telling us the same old lie. We trigger each other. Our sin issues collide. It's us. It is us. Yeah, it's us, but it's more. And we will especially see it when a searching, a searching person is getting close to Jesus. I'm convinced of it. The deep discouragement, the doubts, the busyness, the distraction, not to mention temptations and traumas and all that, and sometimes even things that seem so good. I was just talking to Sam Burns. You remember Sam and Alex, some of you who, uh, who were with us for such a long time. They're in Spokane um, preparing to be missionary pilots. And Sam, the other day when I talked to him, he said, I have never had so many high-paying job offers in my life. Like, they're about to, to go, they're, they're like almost done, and they're going to go to where they're going to fly people into, into an area of Brazil with all kinds of unreached people. And he said, the job offers have never been so good. They're offering me way more money than I've ever seen in front of me in my entire life. Hmm. Interesting. So what do we do? If you look at this story, there's, there's some key things. There's a, a sense of uh, Mary, Joseph, these wise men, they're, they're holding fast, but they're also prompted by God's spirit. When God intervenes and speaks, they listen. Um, there's a discernment that is empowered by God's spirit, and I think that's key for all of us. Um, second, I think we need to be praying for and encouraging people, especially when they're nearing that, that, when they're searching, 
We need to be in prayer for them. Um, And if you are there, if that's you, be vigilant. Um, The scriptures say that um, Peter actually says, and he would know, the enemy prowls after people like a roaring lion seeking people to devour. Uh, Resist him. Firm in your faith. Um, Guys, if if you know me very well, you know this is the one and only time I'm ever going to tell you about the teachings of Joyce Meyer. But she gave one of the best illustrations, one of the best illustrations I've ever seen on this very topic. I'm serious. And so she, she had said, I remember when I was a kid, my family would always watch Joyce Meyer. And, and I've never forgotten it, and I thought it was so good. She said, a lot of times when you feel like Satan is pursuing you and there's, there's something evil and dark, the temptation that we have is to turn around and fight with that, to engage it, to go headlong at it, to, to face, the, face the enemy or drown it out or whatever. Um, and she said, you know, um, that's not nearly as powerful as the alternative, which is to leave him behind you and look to Jesus. She was absolutely right. Um, how do you resist him? You look to Jesus. Friends, this is very real. This should not be surprising that this happens in the lives of people who are seeking. Uh, Matthew elsewhere records one of Jesus' parables, which parables are stories with a principle. And he said this, a sower went out to sow seed. This is a farming story, right? Uh, uh, The principle is being drawn out of this, this scenario. A farmer has a seed. He's about to throw it out into his field where it will grow. So a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path and birds came and devoured it. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they didn't have much soil, and immediately they sprang up. But since they had no depth of soil, when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil. They produced grain, some a hundredfold, others sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Do you have ears? What does it mean? Jesus' disciples didn't understand what it meant when they first heard it, and they went back to him, and so he explained it. And he said, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and doesn't understand it, the evil one snatches away what's been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground... This is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, but has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. As for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, and another sixty, and another thirty. And who are you? Hang around the Christian community for a while, and you'll start to be able to think of people, right, in these categories, and you start to wonder, where am I? They're friends we love, people we like, people we miss. 
whose faith has been choked or scorched. And Jesus says it's not just surface level stuff. It's not just that they're busy. It's spiritually significant. An evil one is at work. We should pray for them. We should engage them. We should invite them. So Christ is for the searching. The enemy is disrupting the search. And, uh, but the, really the thing is seek and you will find it. Turn to Jesus. Like, like Joyce Meyer's encouragement, look to Jesus, right? Um, is your heart good soil? Will the word of the kingdom grow? Um, if you're asking those questions, that's a good sign. That's a very good sign. Keep searching. Um, get back into the scriptures. Look for all things true. The wise men were just looking for true things, I think. In so many places, keep searching. The manger scene to me is an incredible picture. Um, look, we acknowledged this last year. I'll say it again. It's historically inaccurate. If you want to be accurate, you have to take your wise men, stick them out on the side of the street because they're going to show up in about three years. Um, but but well, let's get past it and just think about the principle at play here at the manger scene. So we know wise men come later, um, but, you know, let it go. But think about the types of people that came around, came together around the Christ child. Um, that's a sense of what we feel called to do here at this church. It's an, it's an incredible diversity of people. Mary and Joseph, the obscure, humble believers, nobody ever would have picked them to raise a king. Um, jo Joseph is a descendant of King David, and you know nobody would have picked him to be a king, we read in Samuel's books. He wasn't the most impressive one, and neither was his heir, uh, Joseph, and neither was Mary. They were obscure people that, that nobody would have picked, and God will pick obscure people that nobody would pick. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter where you're from. It doesn't matter what you've done. The shepherds, the outcasts of their society, um, not only would, would you not pick them, you'd rather not. Um, last year when I preached on the shepherds, I said, the type of person, the shepherd type of person in our day is the one who you'd look at and say, I'd never ask you for advice. That's the type of person. And those are the ones that God sent his angelic host to invite first was them. They're invited. You're invited. You feel like, kind of feel that way? And then there's the wise men. They're, are they smart? Are they wealthy? Yeah, they are. But they're seeking and maybe in all the wrong ways, all the wrong directions. Um, but they're willing to spend their resources um, seeking the truth, unsure of where they'd end up. God honors the heart of their search. Um, all these types of people uh, get neglected or kicked out um, in, in all times and places, often in the church, in, in all areas. It's a tragic human trait. We want those who are impressive and sure of themselves. We want the people who are orthodox now, not the ones that might be in 20 years. We want the impressive. We want the powerful, the ones that fit. Um, I was, I'm reading, right now I'm reading Eugene Peterson's um, biography. And it, when he was a pastor, he pastored about 30 years in Maryland. And he says the whole time he just wanted um, mature Christians who he could like love and enjoy and connect with, and they never came. Instead, he got the church, he says. <laughs> Instead, I got the church. 
God tends to use the weak things to shame the wise, and he's no respecter of persons. He rewards those who seek him. It doesn't matter where you're from. God works powerfully in the hearts of those who seek him. That's an encouragement to pray for and engage your friends who don't know Jesus, who are struggling in their faith, because guess what? It is not your ability to get things across to them. Remember the stories I just told you? Crosses on Mount Lemmon, tarot card readers. Tarot card readers sent people here. You can do it. (laughs) You can do it. If God's at work, it can be done. I recently heard a story of uh, uh, our friends here, the village, um, someone who had, their life had been profoundly changed there years ago. And I asked what happened and they said, I, I met a woman from there and she was calm. And I, was, and I wanted to go to church with her. She was calm. And if you're not calm, don't worry. Somebody else out there is looking for something else. <laughs> Do you have questions? Do you have doubts? Do you have deep thoughts? Keep seeking. Jesus said, seek and you will find. No, knock. I'll open the door for you. That's what Jesus said. If you're seeking, if you're seeking, you'll find me. Just bang on the door. I'll open it. Um, expect discouragements. Um, expect the enemy. Uh, I, I feel like this is something that needs to be said. I, I cringe when I hear people tell people that, you look, you come to Jesus and, and everything's going to, like the problems you had will be fixed. They won't. <laughs> yeah. Um, like, can, we, can I get a witness? Like, none of us have, yeah. <laughs> have ever had that story. Uh, why, do, why do we tell people these things? Let's not. Let's tell them, uh, actually, like, life's still hard, but you, you can have hope, right? Prepare for that. Um, let's pray for one another. I was thinking about the Apostle Peter um, when Jesus said to him, Satan wants to sift you out like wheat. Like, he wants to take all the believers and he wants to get you out and destroy you. But what did Jesus say to Peter? He said, but I have prayed for you. Let's pray for one another and then pray with the assurance that Jesus intercedes for us all. And that's far more powerful than any of our prayers. But ultimately, we look to the Christ child together. What brings all these people together at the manger scene, right? What roof could they gather under? The answer is the one in which God had come. The roof under which the Christ child is. The roof under which Jesus is. Um, What I'm about to say is a phrase usually reserved for marriage, but marriage is a metaphor for the relationship between God and his people. So what God has brought together, let no one separate. No one's disqualified if they've come seeking, willing to lay their lives down at the feet of Jesus. So do you feel like a nobody? Do you feel too obscure, not from a great part of town, too young, too simple? Do you feel unclean and outcast? Do you feel like an outsider, like a subpar class that nobody wants around? Do you feel too uneducated, too rough around the edges? Do you feel like you haven't finished your search? Do you have too many questions? Do you feel it more at home in the classroom than the church? Do you fear you may never find the God you hope exists? Come to him. He sent his angels to sing over you while your hands were dirty in the fields. He's given you visions and dreams and signs of his love. 
You've seen him in your study. You've sensed his wisdom in the great books. You've questions only God can answer. Come to him. He's descended into creation. All the other religions call us to reach up, to ascend to God. But in Jesus, the true God comes down and becomes one of us, humbles himself to the experience of infancy, to having to persuade us to believe in him, to having to serve us, to washing our feet, and ultimately, of course, to dine in our place. The wise men listen to the dream. They saved Jesus from Herod's ambition and paranoia, but they did not save him from death because he came to die. And years later, at the hands of not just the king of Israel, but the priests, the leaders of the church, Jesus was strung up on a cross and crucified. And the Roman officers, as they mocked him, put a sign on his cross that said, King of the Jews. The very, the very thing Herod was afraid of. Just before that, Jesus had said, when I'm lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people unto myself. And he says to all of us, if you seek me, you will find me. So look, at, look to the cross. Look for the God who came down. On the night he was betrayed, he said, this is my body, broken for you. And he took blood, the, the wine from the table and said, this is my blood shed for the forgiveness of the sins of many. Friends, look to the one who came down. Look to him by faith. Invite people to look to him. He's at work in their lives. And, uh, and fight for the faith of our friends. Um, the enemy seeks to kill and destroy. I will pray uh, now. There's going to be a two-minute silence after that. That's a time for you to rest and reflect in God's presence. Um, is there a, a sin you need to confess? Is there a person you need to pray for? Is it your faith um, you need to engage with Jesus? Um, go there with him. Now's the time. After that, Mike's going to lead us in singing. It's a time to just refresh your soul with truths from God's word. And then the Lord's table will be open, which means that this is a time to come and say, um, it's Jesus that I need. It's he who saved me. He died for me. And so you're welcome if you can come and receive him by faith. So let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for these friends here, for this people that you've gathered together. I know you love us very much. You've gathered us under this roof because you're here. You want us to be together to worship you. You love those that we love more than we do. You know all the names of all the people we know those who are struggling in their faith, whose faith has been scorched and snatched, have mercy on them. Have mercy on us. Encourage us. Um, hold us close to you. I pray that you would help us to, um, to seek your kingdom. As you taught us in the prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. So bring people in as you will and do it your way and we'll walk with you. So lead us now as we pray.